You've heard of crowd surfing. Jesus is not a crowd surfer. He's a crowd sifter, though. He's going to sift through uh, these crowds. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. I've got a question to ask you. Have you ever signed up for something um, that afterwards you realized this isn't for you? Like you wanted to do something, yeah, you're raising your hands. You know, whatever it was, maybe it was a hobby you thought you'd like. Maybe it was, you know, I don't know, a, a sport or a club. You remember being in clubs and book club, you know, you go to a book club and there's just this weird, awkward discussion and you're like, I have no idea why I signed up for this. This just isn't for me. How did you get to that point? What, what brought you to that point? You know, because something usually leads you to that point. I, I had an experience like that. I've been sharing a lot of youth experiences, and now I realized why God allowed me to, to be so foolish when I was young is so I can have sermon illustrations for when I'm old, because <laughs> I've been noticing that he's just allowing me. So my folly is your fun, but I, I did that when I was young, you know, so I, my main goal in life when I was young was to be popular. That is just it. I just wanted to be liked by people. I wanted to be popular. Uh, so what better way to do that when, than to be a wrestler? Yeah, I know, oh no, thank you. Well, you don't think I'm big enough? Right? I mean, what you say, oh no. Okay, oh no, you're right. So what better way, you know, and so I had a friend. I don't think he was much of a friend because he told me I'd be really good at it. But I think, and all my other friends said, yeah, great idea. We want to see you in those little tights running around on the wrestling mat. So I figured our, our, our high school was real big on wrestling. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I could do that. And it's my quick way to fame, popularity, right? To be with the in crowd. That's what I wanted to do. So I, practice was one thing. You know, you can get away. And I was, I'm wiry, so I can squirm out of things, right? So th then came the match. So I get to the match, and there's this guy. And I don't know what happened. The whistle blew, and the ground beneath me was removed. And all of a sudden, there I was, and he held me up in his, his arms like this and spun me around three times and then threw me to the mat. That's the last thing I remember. And then after that, I was nicknamed the 747 for the rest of my high school career. End of my wrestling match, or my wrestling career for that matter. I also tried out for the football team, but that's a whole other story. That, didn't, that lasted just as long, at, and that was at practice when that ended. But why do I tell you these things? Well, sometimes we need to be hit with the truth to realize that, you know what, this, this isn't why I am doing this. This isn't for me. Jesus hits this crowd square in the face with the truth of why they are following him. You see, folks, just like wrestlers and football players, putting on a uniform and hanging out with the people that do those things, that doesn't make you a wrestler or a football player, does it? Same thing with being a Christian. Hanging out with Christians, putting on the name Christian, doing the same things that Christians do, 
It doesn't make you a Christian. And Jesus wants people to understand that. He wants to understand what it truly means to be a Christian, what it truly means to be a follower of him. Folks, there's a big problem in the church in America. We're not confronting people with the truth. We're allowing this to happen. And we're gathering crowds around us. And we're gathering these crowds in worldly ways and worldly methods. And we're stepping back from the confrontation that Jesus engages in today. How are we doing that? Well, how does God engage us with the truth today? It's right here. It's here. Sunday after Sunday, we have an opportunity to listen to God's word. And it doesn't mean that we confront people with the truth in a bad way, right? We want to be gentle. We want to be loving. But we want to be truthful. And we want to challenge people as to the motivations of why are you following Jesus Christ? What, what is the point why are you coming to church? Why are you hanging out with these people? Because he wants to make sure that you know those reasons. And that's how God sifts. That's how God separates true disciples from false disciples. By preaching the truth, by telling people what it means to believe in Jesus, and by confronting the motivations of those that are around him. And when we come to a passage like this, this is both a passage for us as a church corporately so we can recognize that, look, there are people like this out there. And so we need to understand that, but also for self-reflection, isn't it? We don't want to be one of those disciples. And I see four types here in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. So the first type, food friends, verses 22 through 27. That's John chapter 6, starting at verse 22. We're just going to set the stage here for what happens. So we know that Jesus got into the, Jesus uh, sent his disciples in the boat. He walked across water. That's how he got across to where he's at. So the next day, that crowd that was with them, with him, when they saw the miracle, the loaves and the fishes, stood on the other side of the sea. And they saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus didn't enter it with his disciples into that boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came some other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread and after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they get a little worried. So they themselves get into the small boats and they come to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They found them on the other side. They said to him, Rabbi, when would you get here? Where you been? I've been looking all over for you. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly. Remember, truly, truly means what I'm about to say is very important and very, very true. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes. Work for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Father, God, has set his seal. He got nervous. Where's Jesus? We just had this wonderful, wonderful meal, so they're looking all over for him. They're like, we can't let this guy go because this is where the good stuff is at. I think they sang a song or had a little chant. 
while they were in their little boats or running around looking for Jesus. Here it goes. Food, glorious food. Hot sauces and mustard. Why we're in the mood. Cold jelly and custard. Peas, puddings, savoys. What next is the question? Rich gentlemen have it. Boys, indigestion. Food, glorious food. We're anxious to try it. Three banquets a day. That's our favorite diet. Just picture a great big steak, fried, roasted, or stewed. Yuck. But food, wonderful, marvelous, glorious food. Food, glorious food. What is there more handsome, gold swallowed or chewed? Still worth a king's ransom. It is what we dream about. What brings us a sigh? Piled peaches and cream. Six feet high. Food, glorious food. Don't care what the cook looks like. Just burned, underdone, or crude. Don't care. Uh, thinking of growing fat, our senses go reeling. One moment of knowing that full good up feeling. Food, glorious food. What well, wouldn't we give for that extra bit more? That's all we live for. Food, glorious food. What's the song from? No, fully. <laughs> Could be, maybe. It's isn't. What's what is it? Oliver. There you go, Oliver. Food, glorious food. Remember, they're imagining all the food and thinking. One of my favorite songs. I feel like that's a favorite song of the church in America today. Food, glorious food. Jesus calls these individuals out because they are following him because they were filled. Now, this extends beyond just regular food, doesn't it? It means that, they, that Jesus is satisfying some sort of fleshly or worldly or materialistic desire. And Jesus, when they come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't turn around and be like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you found me. I was worried about you. What does he do? Here they are. Here's a huge crowd of people, and they're wanting to be around Jesus. And he turns to them, and he challenges the motivation of why they are following him. And folks, what I think is happening in the church in America is we're not challenging this motivation. As a matter of fact, we're feeding right into it. As long as we have crowds, and as long as those crowds feel like their felt needs or materialistic needs are being met, we're good to go. And we avoid telling them the truth because we don't want to lose the crowds. Jesus is not that way. And what we see here is a distinction between the two types of disciples. And it's a distinction that even those who are true disciples of Jesus Christ, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we can kind of fall into that category sometimes. What's the category? Where we are working for the food that does what? It perishes. So every time he confronts these individuals, he then provides a way out for them, doesn't he? And he says, hey, look, you're, you're chasing me for the wrong food. And a true disciple of Christ, it doesn't mean that we don't work for that type of food. It means that the priority in our life is the food that what? Does not perish. That's our priority. Everything else is extra. Everything else is a blessing, and it doesn't mean that Jesus can't meet those physical needs, does it? But we understand 
that what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is it means that we come to him knowing that we are first and foremost spiritually fed by him. And that spiritual food is a food that lasts for all eternity, salvation. And then we live our lives in that maxim, understanding that our priority in life is not this stuff. Our priority in life is not our felt needs or our materialistic needs. Our priority in life is spirituality. Jesus makes a really big distinction here. Folks, there's a problem in America, and that is a consumer mentality. And it's infiltrated the church. And now what is happening is churches are playing into this consumer mentality and we're trying to just feed people with worldliness and we're trying to attract them in that way instead of trusting in the truth, instead of preaching the gospel and telling people what they truly need is a spiritual filling and only Jesus Christ can do that. That's what he's trying to tell them. You're, you're working for the wrong food. Listen to what one pastor of a megachurch wrote to his flock. There's over 7 million that go to this church or view this church. He says this, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny that he has laid out for us. Do you want to know, do we need to put two and two together of why that church is so big? If you have, if my, I'm up here telling, you know, I gave Deborah, how much money did I give her the other week? $10. If I started handing out 50 bucks every time I'm up here, do you think we might get some more, hey, this pastor gives out money? If I start telling you that, hey, following Jesus is going to line your pockets, do you think we might, get some attention. Do you think that people might want to follow Jesus if he was lining their pockets with cash? That's a good deal, right? I mean, and that's exactly what is happening in the church in America. This is, this is real. And what happens is they're like, hey, you give a little seed money. You give a little money. You put it in that offering plate. God's going to bless you. And you know how he's going to bless you? He's going to multiply that money you're going to have tens and thousands of dollars. That's discipleship in America, in a church in America. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you have it all wrong. It's not this world that matters. It's not the materialistic stuff that matters. You can have all that in the world, but if you lose your soul, it's on you. I love how Jesus is, I mean, look at what he does. He turns right to them and he calls them out on their motivation. He's not afraid of that. And we're going to see why he's not afraid of that at the end of this passage. He's not afraid of losing people because his goal is to save them. His goal is to offer them real life.
and all they keep thinking about is food. Jesus points to them the truth. Who's the one who gives them the food that they need? He is. He's the only one who can do it. Constantly throughout the Gospel of John, constantly, 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 he just reminds us of this truth, doesn't he? We are fed spiritually. We are fed for all eternity. Our souls are nourished. We have eternal life in one person, one person alone. His name is Jesus Christ. Everything else is an outflow. Everything else is a benefit. Everything else is an added blessing in life. We are sustained because we have him, and that's, that is all we need. All of this can go. It can all go because he's not going anywhere. Remember what he said to, when, remember what he said to Martha. Martha's running around. She's all busy. And he said, Mary chose the good thing. Not that what Martha was doing was wrong. The better thing that will not be what? Taken away from her. Folks, this stuff is going to end. Number one, your eternity, your salvation in Jesus Christ, that's not ending. And that is one thing that no one can ever take from you. And what you do for him on this earth, guess what? It's going to last forever. And isn't that what we want? Purpose and prosperity, not here and now but for all eternity. Are we following Jesus because he's feeding our bellies? I hope not. Brings us to our second type, the earnest earners. Verses 28 through 29. Now, all of these, I just want to clarify, all of these are one group of individuals, but when I was going through this passage, I just noticed that they're displaying different characteristics of people who don't understand really what it means to follow Jesus. So I broke them up uh, into these characteristics, ending with the final characteristic of a true believer. So second one is the earnest earner, verses 28 through 29. Listen to how uh, the people respond to him. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him, whom he has sent. How many people know this guy? Yeah. Never thought you'd see Sammy Hagar up there on a PowerPoint slide in church. I feel like that's an accomplishment in life to just get Sammy Hagar into a sermon illustration. But what I, I didn't realize is that Sammy Hagar has a really interesting theological perspective on salvation. This is Sammy's salvation, and I just want to read it to you and then talk about what the people say here. So Sammy Hagar actually thinks Jesus Christ is one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth. And then he was asked a certain question. Well, what do you think about the claims of Jesus Christ. So the truth of what Jesus has said about himself specifically about the claims of Jesus Christ when he said to be the way, the truth, and the life and saying nobody comes to the Father but by me. 
He said this, I think it's just been, he said this, I think that is something that was made up. Sammy's view of what Jesus says. He says, yeah, I think it's been misinterpreted. So if it's made up, it can't be misinterpreted, but anyway. And taken out of context. I really interpret that as Christ saying, the way that I preach is that you don't hurt one another or you don't kill one another. Makes sense. If you're killing, you're definitely hurting. And then he says this, you know the Ten Commandments. Let's use those for example. I believe that Jesus is saying this is the way to God. You don't have to go through him and use him like he's saying, I'm an egotist or I'm the vehicle. He's teaching, if you don't obey these rules, you will not go to heaven and you will not be in touch with God. He said, I think too much emphasis is on the man himself. And if he were walking around today, he would say to you, hey, don't look at me. I can't save you. You need to save yourself. But he actually swears in that, which I'm not going to do here. So he said, you need to actually save yourself. And then he says this, he made it pretty easy on us. You know, the Ten Commandments, those rules are simple. Anybody in their right mind could live by those rules. I think that is all that Christ was really trying to do. The sad thing about this is he's not alone. And, and there needs to be some clarity as to what Christianity is and what it isn't. Because these individuals that are following Jesus kind of think the same thing that Sammy Hagar is thinking, and it's sad. It's really sad. And it reveals to us and reveals to them something about who they think they are and who they think God is. What are, what are these people thinking that Jesus is there for? to show them a set of rules to follow. I like, the, I like the NIV translation much better than the NASB, which is to do the works that God requires. What are they thinking? They are thinking that Jesus is there to show them a set of rules, to show them some works so that they can check off the boxes and earn their salvation one commentator says on this verse to the Jewish questioners, obtaining eternal life was a matter of finding the right formula for performing works to please God. Remember the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It is all about works. And I've noticed two things as I'm looking at this passage. Why do humans think that they can do these things? What is it about doing works that, gra that people gravitate to? Well, think about it. If you have a checklist of being good, you can just check that off, right? You can say, oh, I went to church today. Boom, gotcha. Oh, I tithed today. I gave some money to a good missionary. Oh, there you go. Oh, I read my Bible today. Oh, check it off. Do I need to change? No. And I can still be who I am, technically, and just check the boxes. It's easy. 
but it betrays something about what these people think about themselves. And that is one of the, the biggest dangers that is out there today. Folks, we live in a world that says, I'm good enough. That's it. I'm good enough. These people following Jesus are no different than some people following Jesus today. Jesus is a good moral teacher. Jesus is the greatest man that walked on the earth. But I don't need Jesus as a savior. You know why? Because I'm okay. This is a song that is out there today. And we're going to talk about this phrase, I am, in a second. This is a motivational song that, quote unquote, is changing lives and the world. The title of it is, I am. And it begins like this. What are the two most powerful words in the English language? I am. Because whatever comes after that will shape your life. Let the power of I am shape you today in a most powerful way. If you believe you are powerful, if you believe you are capable of achieving great things, you will attempt great things. I am powerful. I am strong. I'm achiever. I'm abundant. I'm rich. I'm determined. I am someone who can make things happen. I am health. I am wealth. I am. I am. I am. I am a powerful creator. I am filled with faith. I am blessed. I am grateful. I am a miracle. I am connected. Wait for it. I am God. I am God. You can look it up. I am God. Someone else thought that or wanted to be God. Do you remember her name? Eve? Let us into the mess that we find ourselves in today. And we look at ourselves and we say, God, what do you got for us? Because I can meet that challenge. You know why? Because I am. I'm great. I'm powerful. I'm the best. This is what the world wants you to fill your head with and believe. I'll tell you what I am. I'm a big fat sinner. I'm a mess. And I'm in need of a great Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because he's the only I am. The world is divided down this line. It's either he is or I am. There's no in between. Please, please, please do not think by coming to church, by doing good deeds, by following the Ten Commandments, by doing all these things that you are earning anything before God. Please don't think that. Don't ever think that. Jesus points to himself because he's the one who fulfilled the law for you. He points to himself because he's the one who gave his life for you. And he's the only one who can do it. He's the I am. And he's going to say that right at the end of this passage. Don't be fooled. Do not think that. It's a lie. We're sinners. Yeah, we have dignity because we're created in God's image. That's why he did what he did because he loves us. Loves us. 
But we got to be okay admitting that I'm not. He is. We all have to get to that point. They believe they're able to meet God's requirements. And they don't realize that salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. There is absolutely no work that can earn it. It's his work that fulfilled it. Over and over and over again, we hear this in the Gospel of John, and it is something that I never, ever, ever want us to get wrong. And this is the message of hope that this world needs because people are trying to work. They're trying to earn their salvation, and God says, look, I took care of it for you. Stop working. What's he say the work is? Belief. The work is belief. That is not much of a work, Lord. Oh, guess what? I did it all. That's why. The work, I've told, I've told people the gospel, and I've gotten two responses from that. One of them was, I think I'm good enough. I told someone the gospel that, and they said, no, I don't believe that. They understood what I was saying, and they said, no, I, 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 I'm good enough. There's something I can do. And then I told someone else the gospel, and I said, it's believe. And they said, that's too easy. I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. It's okay that it's easy. It wasn't easy for him. Believe, and you'll be saved. That's his message. That's what he's saying to us. You don't have to work. He's done all the work. Leads to our third type, the divine demander. Verse 30. Through 34. So here's their response to that. Because Jesus points to himself. So we got to catch on what's happening here. So they say, so they thought the work was a work that they earned salvation. And now Jesus says, you believe in him, pointing to himself whom God has sent. So they said to him, (laughs) what then do you do for a sign that we might see and believe you? I laugh at that because what on earth is wrong with these people? He just fed 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And they want to see more. What has she got for us, Jesus? We haven't seen you do anything, Jesus. They've been following him for three years. He's performing miracles left and right. And they say, what are you going to do so that we believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Now now it's starting to come out. Here we go. Here we go. We see a little motivation behind why they're saying this. As it's written, he gave them bread. Back to the bread. Out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God, that's which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Nancy Ortberg tells a story about how their family dog, a golden retriever named Baxter, would get covered with ticks. So after doing some research about ticks, here's what she discovered. 
The tick is actually called the overeaters of the insect world. For those of you who are really technical in your biology, did you know a tick is not a true insect? I know. It's an arachnoid. Arachnid. Arachnoid. Um, so it's like a spider. Uh, so it's of that family. They have a disease. Ticks have a disease. It's called the disease of more. They latch on and they can't stop. They're not satisfied until they blow up seven, ten, ten times their normal size. You know they can't jump. Ticks can't jump, so they have to drop onto you or crawl onto you. be crazy if they could jump, wouldn't it? You'd be like, oh, you got one again. <laughs> Sorry. Can you imagine? I was going to put a picture, picture, a picture. <laughs> that was pun intended. I was going to put a picture up there of a bloated tick, but I don't think you would forgive me for that one because that is really disgusting what they look like. So after they, they suck all the life out of you, they drop off. And then they can't do anything for a while because they're digesting. So then once they digest, they then find another host and they go through it all over and over again. These individuals are like these spiritual ticks. They more. Jesus, give us more, Jesus. Because feeding 15,000 people with some fishes and loaves, that's just not going to cut it, Jesus. And they're making Jesus prove it over and over and over and over again. Jesus makes a claim. They go, prove it. And why are they saying this? Because they can't get their mind off of bread, of food. It goes back to the food. So they're like, this is a win-win situation for us. We get Jesus to prove that he's better than Moses because remember, at the end of the fishes and loaves, they said, this is the prophet that has come into the world. Who's the prophet? The one that Moses is talking about and the one that Moses said, hey, listen to this guy. Well, they're saying, well, Jesus, if you want us to listen, uh, listen to you, you better prove that you are now better than Moses. So now they put Jesus in a competition, and they're saying, what is the sign that you do? And, it, and you know, at this point, even Peter's like, dude, I thought I was numb. He's like, I don't know, Jesus is going to lose it on these guys, because even I saw some things, and I know a little bit more than these guys. These guys are numb, numb. They can't see. But it reveals something, doesn't it? It reveals their heart. They just want to be entertained. They just want to see Jesus do another miracle. And they're hoping, they're like, oh, we're going to bring up the bread. Because, dude, if Moses fed these people with manna, you know Jesus is bringing out the buffet. You know, he's, they're like, and that's exactly where their minds go, right? Jesus, give us this bread. And you're like, did you not just hear a word that he just said? And they're still thinking about food, but it reveals their hearts. Folks, there's a point in time when you're asking Christ or God for signs to lead you to faith and help you understand. That's okay. There's a sincerity behind that. That's not what's happening here. These folks have been with him. They've been following him. They're watching him, and they're entertained. And in the end, they just want more food. That's all they're thinking about. 
all they're thinking about is what can Jesus do for me here and now? And just like ticks, sometimes the church can get like this. As long as we're providing, as long as you're entertained and everyone's happy and everything is going great and all the programs and all the happiness and all the food and all the whatever it is, and people will latch on to that and then they'll suck you dry. And then when they're done, they're going to fall off and they're going to go to the next host. And they're not in it for what Jesus has to give them. They're not in it for truth. They're not in it for eternal life. They're in it for themselves. They're in it to be entertained. They're in it for Jesus to do another trick. And Jesus calls them out on it. Repeatedly and repeatedly. It's amazing that we believe that God needs to prove himself to us. Isn't what Jesus did on the cross enough? All the proof that we need, all the evidence, folks, he gives it to us. That's why we're going through the Gospel of John, isn't it? This is what he's done. And the work that he's done isn't to change a few fishes and loaves to feed thousands. The work that he's done is to become a man, to live on earth, to identify with us, to care for us, and to give his life for us. That's the work that he does. That's the true bread that comes out of heaven. You know, a Muslim was asked at one point why he chose to follow Jesus Christ, and he said, if you come to a fork in the road and you have a choice to follow two guides, one is dead and one is alive, who are you going to follow? <laughs> it's pretty, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you want to see a sign, you can wait because Jesus is coming back, right? He, he'll show you. It's going to be too late at that point, folks. Don't wait that long. Don't keep demanding from God to show you what we already know is true. See, the people like this aren't really interested in it. So they keep making Jesus perform, keep asking for food, because all they're thinking about is their earthly bellies. There is a true disciple in all of this. And it's our final type, the bread believer, verses 35 through 40. Listen to how Jesus responds. I'm the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So he calls them out. As I said before, these people are not seeking true signs to figure out who Jesus is. They just want to be fed. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose absolutely nothing, 
Raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus begins this with one of the seven I am statements. So here's your I am statement. This, these statements are absolutely crucial into understanding who Jesus is and what he can do for us. So seven I am statements. The first, I am the bread of life. And then I am the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life and the true vine. So every I am, and then followed by what he can do or what he is to us. So later on, Jesus is going to be confronted, and we're going to get into that much later on, by the Jews, and he talks about Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews want to kill him. Why do they want to kill him? Because that is the name that God used to give to the burning bush when he's talking to Moses. I mean, in the burning bush. And he says, I am. There's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. If you go to the translation, you're going to get the same Greek phrase that is used here and used when Jesus says that later on. That's why they wanted to kill him, because he is claiming to be God. I'm not sure what Sammy Hagar and those guys are thinking but Jesus made this claim. And then whatever follows the claim is because he is God and he can do those things for us. So what is he saying to us here? I can feed you for all eternity. If you believe in me, that's the goal. That's, that's what the requirement is. If you believe in me, you are never going to hunger. You are never going to thirst. That's the promise. That is the true believer who recognizes Jesus as the bread of life. Not physical, but spiritual. An understanding that eternity begins here and now. Satisfied. That's what he says. You come to me, you will be satisfied. preacher tells a story about a woman in his audience inviting him to her house. A few years before that, she moved to the city uh, because she was dying of AIDS. During that time, she had hungered for something more than she had found in her life. He said, when we walked in the apartment, she was absolutely surprised. And he'll never forget her expression. Her mom and dad stood next to her with her friend. She looked like a bag of bones, a pathetic sight. However, she was extremely grateful. He said, we had spoken with her and we had prayed with her. And then he turned to leave. As he turned to leave, he noticed a book on her table. It was a book by R.C. Sproul, The Hunger for Significance. And he comments on this and he says... In her deepest and loneliest moment, that greatest hunger was being satisfied. You know why? Because she came to faith in Jesus Christ. I think about that picture. 
and I think about the life that she probably had led before that, seeking a life to satisfy what? This, satisfy the flesh. And then there she was, emaciated, but filled. That's what he does. He fills us with a satisfaction that this world or trial or suffering or trouble or nothing can take away ever. We're all walking proof of that. For years in my life, that's what I did. Just sought after this. And when Christ found me, satisfied, all of it. Everything else that I got was extra. Blessing. Fill in the blank. Hunger for significance. Hunger for truth. Hunger for life. Hunger for purpose. Hunger for eternity. Jesus fills it. But he promises something else, doesn't he? What, what else is he promising? Besides that, he promises security. How many people does Jesus lose along the way? Zero. Nobody. You come to him, you're safe. Whoever comes to me, is he going to turn you away? Nope. I'm not going to cast you out. This world, folks, this world will cast you out. And this world will use you and then cast you out. And you think this world is going to satisfy you? Uh-uh. When they're done with you, you're going to be nothing to them. It's not the way Jesus operates. He tells them, you are with me from the beginning till the end. What's he say? Because do we get the physical side of it too? When do we get the physical side of it? The last day when he raises us. I want to point something out here because Jesus is definitely talking about the sovereignty of God in salvation, isn't he here? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. We're a gift to God. And he who comes to me, I will not cast out. And he will absolutely lose none of us. Two reasons. Why is he saying that? Because he's about to lose some people. People are going to leave him. Is Jesus worried about that? He's not. And this verse, a verse like this and what is going to follow in the weeks to come, a verse like that gives us confidence in bold evangelism. Preach the word. You ain't going to scare anyone away. It doesn't matter. Preach. This is why we preach the truth. Because you know what? God's got this. I'm not worried about that. Jesus is the bread of life. If you don't believe that, that's on you. Because he says in the beginning, whoever comes. So we should be preaching that gospel like nothing. We can't, we can't turn. Now, we don't want to do it in a way that does turn people away, because then that's our fault. But we, we, we can't turn people away that God is drawing to him. You can't do it. The dogs agree. <laughs> I just saw that dog run by us like this, that dog running around out there. 
But that's, that's, what, that's why he is saying this. He's saying, look, you don't believe in me, that's okay, because you were never my disciples to begin with. You were never following me for the right reasons. The ones who understand who I am, they're mine, and I ain't losing them. And guess what? They're going to benefit on the last day because you're working for this body right now. I got a body that's going to blow your minds away, and I'm going to raise it up on the last day. Why are we following Jesus? What are we thinking? Is it for our next meal? Is it to gain a set of rules so that we can earn our salvation? Is it to see him do another trick to prove himself over and over again? Or have you tasted of the bread and life and you just can't get enough? Folks, that's why we do this. And what an opportunity. Jesus gives them an opportunity, doesn't he? And he says, look, you come to me, you believe in me, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about water for the rest of your life and for all eternity. This is your opportunity. What we're about to do represents his body and his blood. The bread that is broken, his body that is broken and given for us, his blood that is spilled for us. That's what leads to eternal life. You believe you're going to be satisfied now and forever. Father, some tough words, Lord. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to see that the life that you offer is true life. The food that you give us is true food. Lord, and help us, even as we come to you, believing in that, help us not to be distracted by the food and the life of this world. Help us to pursue those things that last for all eternity. Lord, thank you that this is a gift of your grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.